0: Welcome back to The Podvocate. I'm Jake Kupferman. Today we're joined by Father Jerry Overbeck. Father Jerry is the chaplain here at Loyola Law School, and we're going to talk about the Staying Best Friends program, a Loyola initiative to help couples navigate their relationships throughout the law school experience. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. So let's start uh, by having you tell us how long you've been at Loyola and what's kept you here.
1: Uh, I arrived at Loyola in the summer of 1976 and never would have guessed I'd stay here that long. The scuttlebutt in the Jesuits was we'll never get him out of California because I had lived out there for over a dozen years and taught at Santa Clara as a new priest and after two years came here so i was 29 years old um and now i'm 73 next month so never ever would have guessed i remember standing on the beach Hardigan beach if you know the beaches up north looking up at mertz hall which is where they asked me to live with freshmen and thinking oh god does that building look cold (laughs) because it holds 700 freshmen and I remember saying, you know, I'm pretty adaptable. I think I can live not anywhere, but most places for a couple of years.
0: Well, I think uh, I speak for myself and everybody else that I would love to look like you when I'm 73, so congrats on that. Um,
1: (laughs) Don't have your eyes checked when you see me. (laughs) Um,
0: But I, I guess from your perspective, what was it that was so appealing about higher education and working with students as a priest that I guess has kept you here as long as it did, but really opened you up to the opportunity to begin with?
1: It seems to me that people mature later in this culture than they used to. So while many people used to make choices about the kind of life they would live, um, the kind of values they would have that would be the kind of the pillars, the foundations on which they stood, that used to happen more in high school years. But I think in our culture at this time, people mature later. And uh, I see that in my own family. I mean, I see some pretty young 30-year-olds who are now almost 50, but when they were 30, I was thinking, wow, it's just, they're still waffling on what's important. Whereas I think a lot of times when people are in college, whether undergraduate or graduate training, they start to realize that this has huge implications. Like whether I'll have a marriage that works, whether I'll have children that will be not robotic, but will be responsive to guidelines, boundaries that I would establish. And do I even know what those are? And what my thinking is?
0: Right. Well, you uh, you touched on it on it right there. I mean, you're obviously when people are developing later, the relationships in people's lives um, are affected by that. And so, obviously, that's become one of your big priorities here, and, and the theme of this episode is Staying Best Friends. But um, before we jump too far into it, I'd love if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what the Staying Best Friends program is um, and how that really started here.
1: If people are uh, have association with our law school for a long time, they will know Nina Appel, who's Dean Emerita. When she was Dean, I was not. The, I was at Loyola, but I was at Lakeshore Campus, not at the law school So when I came to the law school 15 years ago, Dean Jim Fott said, we know you'll bring your own unique gifts here, but could you at least keep one program that was started a good 10, it's over 25 years, this program. And the origin of the program was that in one first-year law class, after one, one year of Loyola Law, there were five divorces. And Nina called in the chaplain at the time, a a brother, not a Jesuit brother, but a brother of Christian instruction, Jim Zullo, and said, Jim, we can't force people to do anything, but is there something we can offer as a faith-based institution that could help people not only get out of here with their JD, but also to protect and enhance their own relationships, the ones that are most significant to them? So it's not an either-or. And so that's when they came up with the design that we use, which I think is ingenious. As soon as I heard it, I didn't know anything about it till Jim told me Jim fought. And when he told me that, I went, oh, I'd be happy to. i put myself behind that one. Because it's not listening to the gems that, whatever ones I've been able to figure out in living life as I have. I'm still a celibate. I don't have a wife and children. So rather than listen to me, listen to your peers, people who've actually had to navigate the choices around what you include and what you exclude and how you kind of nuance back and forth, adapting so that you can manage to get out of here not only with your JD but with your spouse or your partner.
2: Can you talk a little about the planning process that you went through with your partner as part of your decision to go to law school?
3: So my partner at the time was applying to residency uh, after medical school and we had a really complicated conversation because she, the way residency works is you apply to a number of places and you're matched and you have no say in which place you go to. It's what you get is what you get and Sarah, my partner, applied to something like 12 places um, in 10 cities. I was trying to apply to law school at the same time and the choice had to be whether we applied to the same cities at the same time or if I was to wait a year and then apply to one city where she was placed. And we ended up deciding the latter, where um, once she was placed in Chicago, then I started looking for a law school that would work. It was the first real decision, I feel like, that we had made as a couple that kind of was really consequential and something that you know I, I don't think I would have done um, if the relationship wasn't as serious as it was, because it pushed my law school education back a year, and uh, I'm also really glad that I did, because I think it made it—it it was good for me to to be more focused when I was applying, but also it was a good exercise or test or sort of experience that made me really think about and realize and choose to be to make these decisions uh, with someone else in mind, and it was the first time that I'd ever had to do that for such a consequential choice. Yeah, I'm really glad that that's how it worked out.
4: When I left undergrad, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I worked at Burns and Noble for a year, and during that year, I sort of, through some soul-searching, through some volunteering, decided I wanted to go to law school. At this point, my then-fiancé, now-husband, was in South Carolina, and he was working on his master's in marine biology. So our topics around this were pretty much you know all those times I was able to like you know go and visit you and actually see you yeah that's gonna be cut down to almost none (laughs) and we talked about how are we supposed to keep in touch when I'm going through this my stress levels are gonna be through the roof on top of this and on top of the wedding planning and on top of me not seeing him as much because we're in two different time zones. He's on one coast and I'm in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) It was really difficult. He was very supportive of me following my dream though and he wanted to make sure that I could do my best and be happy while I was here, but we really had to take a hard look at how long I was gonna be here and that the original plan of me going to join him in South Carolina was no longer feasible, and how our career paths are actually going to impact the rest of our lives because I have one more year, a year and a half, And then after that, I'm sure as a lot of us know, the market for jobs, I need to be in a big city. I need to be somewhere where you can have a lot of options. And he needs to be somewhere where there is a large body of water that is salty. (laughs) And that is not Chicago. So that's sort of where our planning process went in the very beginning. Very supportive, but also needed to take a hard look at how law school is going to affect our future plans and our current way of seeing each other.
0: Well, I mean, the, the program obviously is successful. It's been around, as you mentioned, for 25 years. Um, and I, I even remember from our 1L orientation, I mean, that was one of the focal points that was like, hey, you know, these relationships are, are tough. Law school is tough and maintaining relationships is tough. And you combine those two things together um, and it can be even even harder Um, But, you know, you touched on it a little bit. You transitioned this program from the undergraduate to the law school. And I'm curious if you saw any uh, major differences between how undergrads handled this program and how law students handled this program and if that has morphed the program at all.
1: Well, we didn't have this program explicitly for undergrads. This is, is a law school program. So it's always been at the professional level. Um, what happened was it became so, su- so successful with our law school that the graduate school programming at Loyola asked us, can we do one of the three? You do three a year, so two first semester, one second. How about if the one in second semester could be broadened and open to all graduate and professional students? So if people are in a master's program or a PhD program, they could come to that one, even if the first two was just for law. So it really wasn't, but we, you know, I've always, you mentioned before about relationships, that's always been a key variable for me. I I think if I'm proud of anything uh, in terms of the way I've lived my life, it's the quality of relationships I have, especially friendships. I have some of the best friends in the world, and I wish everybody could say that, but I know better. I know a lot of people don't have one. I mean, they have, all, they have 350 Facebook friends, but that doesn't mean they have one person with whom they feel free to lower their guard and celebrate something that they know the other person won't take it. As, God, are you arrogant. You're just trying to share with them something you, that excites you and you're grateful for and you want to celebrate and you'd understand because you know where this fits in my life. So wonderful things, but also when things are a mess and I can't just walk around here and just say like, I don't want to help any of you right now i'm a mess i need and you know i'm as human as you are so we all have days like that and for me it's not usually whole days it's part of a day or part of a night when i just need to call a friend and just say do you have a little time i'm i'm just in a i'm stuck right now
0: well i think we uh we could all benefit from relationships like that and i think you you hit the nail on the head you know we Um, we sort of equate our social media presence sometimes to our real life presence and obviously the way that translates uh, doesn't always work out but you know in your your story you mentioned um, there were so many divorces in this 1L class Mm -hmm. and um, prior to meeting with you I did a little research um, and the divorce rate in the United States has has significantly started to drop since the 1960s and at the same time the divorce rate for lawyers is double the national average. So from your perspective, you know, you're very intimately involved in, in these relationships with people and you see them grow. Why do you think that is? Do you think that it's a, it's a product of the stress of the law or is it a byproduct of the nature of the work? What, what do you think?
1: I think there isn't a simple answer to that. I think if there were somebody who's sm- a lot smarter than you and me would come up with that and identify it in a TED talk or a, <laughs> a, a journal article or a book or whatever, and we go, oh, just do A, B, and C, and then we won't have this problem anymore. Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of variables. I think stress is part of it, how you handle or don't handle stress. But I think another part of it is uh, the context in which we live at this culture at this time is not um, supportive of commitment and i don't just mean marriage i mean what to do friday night um, i use that as an example in the wedding i preached last weekend and just said and they kind of looked at me like what and i said you know we're thinking of having a potluck and people will say oh that sounds like a lot of fun that's great so can we count on you to bring the salad or bread or dessert i don't know you pick what you want well i'll get back to you okay which basically means if thursday night nothing better's come along then I'll get on board, but it's all about me and my keeping my options open. So, very few people are inclined. Just if you go with the cultural flow, if you just go with the flow, most people who are young adults would not be inclined to say, "I'm in." This is what I'll bring.
0: Well, I, I you know, I can relate to that on so many levels, and I think, um, you know, you're you're telling that story and. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, I'm guilty of that too. Um, I think we all are. But, you know, it, I guess from the Staying Best Friends program, you know, you've done this, you said, for 15 years. What are some of the skills that, you know, you've taught and you've seen taught by others that have really helped to, you know, address that and really stick with commitment and be firm with it?
1: First of all, I think the best lessons have been taught by the couples who are the presenters. And I think the candor with which they speak and the humility, I mean the willingness to share with people the mistakes they've made. They'll say literally things like, looking back on it, I hope you don't make the same mistake I made, for example. And then they'll describe an, you know, what almost cost them their relationship. You would think, since both of us are graduates of different law schools I went to Loyola but she went here you would think we would have talked about where which bar we were gonna take that seems so fundamental and rudimentary and it wasn't until I realized she was preparing for the Wisconsin bar and I was preparing for the Illinois bar and I said "Uh, do you think we ought to talk about this like what are you imagining are you thinking we're gonna live near the border and you'll work one way and I'll work the other. Like, I'll commute to Chicago, you'll go to Milwaukee, or they hadn't, she said, it seems so obvious, but we were so into just like, what's the next thing? Okay, next thing is, okay, graduation. Then, okay, now I gotta pass the bar. And we both made assumptions. So learning how to figure out where your assumptions are would be one skill that I think is important to learn that was taught by this one couple. What is something
2: that has surprised you about the process of going through law school while working to maintain your relationship?
5: So I think we, when my partner and I both came to law school, I think we expected the time crunch issue, that we were going to not have a lot of time and that that would put a strain on our relationship because we've always, almost always, since the time that we started going out almost a decade ago, um, lived together and spent a lot of our time together and law school was going to be pretty divergent for that. And that's, that's certainly been an expected difficulty that we've had, but I think one of the difficulties we've had that we didn't expect or didn't understand how much it would impact us is the competitiveness of the law school environment. The expectation that you're always supposed to be doing more and being better than the people around you in order to compete in a pretty difficult market. And I think that that's been a challenge, trying to be happy for each other at moments when we are struggling ourselves. And in the pressure cooker of law school, I think that that has been more of a, not necessarily a bad thing, but just something we have to pay attention to in the way that we talk about our accomplishments and in the way we celebrate the other person's accomplishments. I think that's probably unique to both of us being in law school at the same time, in the same section doing the same things. Uh, there is kind of a one-to-one comparison that you can make, which I don't think you can make in a lot of other areas. And I think it's good to remember that even though there's a one-to-one comparison in the type of work we're doing, we're still very different people. So it's not really a, a, a good idea to compare outcomes.
6: One of the first surprises was just that there were a lot of people like who are one else who were also either like engaged or already married, um, and finding some comfort in that. Yeah, there were a handful of people in my section who were already married, and getting to talk to them about that, how, how they're dealing with stuff was really helpful. Whenever I talk about this kind of stuff, I always think of something that one of the upperclassmen said early on, which was that they, like me, had been working for a while before they started law school and that they treated law school like a job, meaning that they were here more or less nine to five every day, including Fridays, and that when they went home, they went home and they weren't like bringing work, schoolwork home with them. And that allowed them to keep their relationship strong because when they were home, they were dedicating themselves to like the relationship and just being part of that. Uh, And so I really, really strive to do that. And my wife and I had, like I said, she was in school for a while, but we both had been working for a while when we were living together. And so treating law school like a job, I think really allowed, us to to keep a strong relationship because it really wasn't any different than just me having a job. It was like me just coming home from work and then I'm home and we cook dinner and we hang out and watch Netflix and we go to bed and it's like that's just what it is. So just trying to keep those boundaries, keep school at school and home at home, I think was really helpful.
1: The short way to describe it is a sense of humor, but I don't mean telling good jokes. I mean be able to laugh at yourself, not take yourself too seriously that you can acknowledge to the other person that you say is the love of your life. Oh my God, I can't believe I just did that again. I've been trying to, honest to God, I'm not trying to ruin our relationship, but where you can poke fun at yourself and not take yourself too seriously and acknowledge that, wow, I just, I thought it was more together than this, but I'm not. And obviously, and I'm sorry. And so being freer with um, acknowledging Mistakes and not thinking that makes you an axe murderer, but that I'm sorry and you can apologize and chuckle about it. And say honestly, I'll try to do better.
0: I uh, I'm giggling and it's not because I am not taking your what your advice seriously. I'm giggling because my fiance is going to listen to this episode <laughs> and hear the second point you just made and say I can't believe that you're not going to you know mm. take this this brilliant man's advice. <laughs> um, but uh, mm. so a, a prior episode of this podcast we we talked about how difficult it can be to have a balanced mental health, as a, both as a law student, as a graduate student, and even, you know, to your earlier point, as a young adult in this modern society. Um, how do you think that difficulty plays into maintaining a relationship, um, and then do you think that being a law student adds another layer of complexity to it?
1: I do. I, I, I think the mental, that was one of the early, I, I, in my head I ticked a couple of things off that I wanted to speak to, and that was one of them. I think yesterday was Mental Health, World Mental Health Day, and I think finding ways to normalize, be able to talk about this as a real part of life for everyone, not just you students, not, no, not just anybody. We're all faculty, staff, administrators, alums. Mental health is a real issue, and there are many issues in that category. But to be able to uh, identify when things are getting so awry that, you know, I've tried to work this out by myself, but it's not enough. I've tried working it out with a friend or two that I think is trustworthy, they're not gonna have two beers and go telling everybody, Um, but I don't think they have the competence to address what I need here. I've tried talking to a mentor or two, maybe a parent, maybe a wise uncle, Clergy, whomever, but I think I need a specialist. I need somebody who deals with this regularly, and I need to explore various perspectives and strategies so that I can figure out next best steps. Because if not, this is going to cost us our our relationship.
0: Well, I think you're uh, you're exactly right, and I you know yesterday was Mental Health Awareness Day, and these are conversations that I think are starting to become more and more common thankfully. Um, But I suppose, you know, as lawyers, we're taught to explore every avenue, right? And sometimes we don't do that. Um, But I think, you know, one of the the things that's so beautiful about staying best friends is it does open up a new avenue for conversation and and dialogue. Um, But what have you found, uh, or I suppose, what role have you found that having strong relationships, having a good support system, how does that play into becoming a better lawyer and becoming a better person?
1: Well, every lawyer is a person. So those two, you know, there's some overlap there. Um, not every person's a good lawyer. So, but if you personally are stable, you can roll with things. I think it makes a difference in terms of how you handle the complexities of a job, whatever kind of job, including a lawyer. So if someone is, uh, has a the tensile strength of their home base relationships is such that there's a lot of resilience there there's not a lot of rigidity there's ways in which you can kind of ride out it's not going to be ideal for the next weeks or months because of this case or because of the traveling that's involved if i keep this job with this larger firm maybe later we might want to talk more about whether or not that's the best course for my career because of the implications it has for our married life and our family life. But at least for right now, for this next few months, I can't do this by myself. It takes a village. So honey, you and the kids need to come with me on this. Oh, I,
0: you said it perfectly. Um, you know, most of our, our conversation today has been focused on marriages and uh, relationships that are are romantic in nature. And I'm wondering if um, these skills that you've touched on, uh, if you've seen how they've manifested in platonic relationships and friendships, um, and I know you mentioned earlier like having these types of friendships where you can call on somebody is so important. Um, but I'm wondering if you've seen how staying best friends has translated into platonic relationships or friendships.
1: I have, uh, especially family and closest friends, those handful of people that you want you choose to invest in for the long haul. If I had to pick one variable that I point to with our Jesuits who are studying to become priests and brothers, um, I don't know if you know that Loyola has, one of the unique features of Loyola is that it's one of the largest Jesuit communities in the world. And of the 80 Jesuits who are here right now, 35 of them are very young. That is so rare. Because most people think, oh, my God, are we getting a whole lot more vocations? No. This is one of, right now, two centers in the United States where Jesuits come to train for their third to fifth years in the Jesuits. So that's why there are so many young ones. But one of the pieces of advice when, every once in a while, it's funny, I find uh, late millennials, early Gen Zers have their own way of saying, okay, we're going to talk. And it's a lot of times very nonverbal cues, but it's, like, very clear. Okay, gloves are off, man. We're Don't, getting serious. We're getting serious here, yeah. <laughs> like the, we a, in a Christian frame of reference, we might say, we're having a come-to-Jesus moment. <laughs> so, okay, what's, what's this about? Now, of all the things you've seen, blah, 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 what would you – and I'll always go after – you bring gifts to the table that I can't bring, like as you were setting up all this equipment. That was just one – But one of the gifts I bring that you can't bring, I will say to these young Jesuits, you cannot know what it's like to have had a friend. I don't mean an acquaintance now. I mean somebody with whom you can be yourself and not be afraid to call when things are really awful, really bad, really good, really exciting, and everywhere in between. What it's like to have a relationship like that for 50 years so in your young adult life all the way up to where like I'm like I said I'm going to be 73 uh, there's that's one of the greatest gifts in my life having a handful of women and a handful of men that I have a relationship like that with they're unbelievable Many of the skills that are spoken to, some mostly by the couples who are presenting, like I said before, but sometimes I'll throw my hat in the ring too and say my two cents worth, those have been honed through these relationships. It's taking it from a book and embodying it. Some of these things are so much easier to work out in theory. I was teasing somebody like in the summers I do research and work on my next book. I'll say you know it's so much easier to work this all out in theory than it is with real people including this real person you know i can see all kinds of insights into you but i don't often see them into me and it isn't until one of my closest friends just said to me two weeks ago in san francisco we're sitting in her kitchen helping her daughter celebrate her marriage that weekend she went actually she went here to Loyola chicago oh, wow. that's i mean i've fed her a bottle I baptized her, I wheeled her around in strollers, I did her parents' wedding, wow. her mom's one of my best friends. So, I mean, I, I stay with them every summer. I just move in with her and her husband and the, whoever the kids are there. Like the older brother's now living in Berlin so he can't come back for the weekend when I'm there. So they've known me for many, many years. When somebody like Molly says to me, you know, I just figured something out about you. I went, uh-oh, where is this going? Because from what we had just been talking about, I couldn't figure out what insight she had. She said, I figured out that you are so much more about connecting than collecting. I said, you got to tell me more. I don't know what that means. For you, you connect with people when they're hitting a human moment, and it could be wonderful. It could be the thrill of having landed this job that they wanted. It could be the thrill of having their first child. It could be the devastation of having to bury a child. It can be somebody's facing mental illness. It could be awful or it could be wonderful. The rubber hits the road right there for you. That connection is what rivets you, motivates you, inspires you. That's where you find God. And subsequently you go, oh really? You're part of the city council of Honolulu. One of the nine people that runs the city. I didn't, I didn't care, that wasn't, that wasn't the point. And she's seen that pattern over so many years that it could be Lisa Madigan or it could be a first-year law student. doesn't matter. The person matters. And as you listen and interact, you'll find places where you connect, and there's a choice you need to make. Do you go with it and be surprised where God can lead you as you take your next best steps, or do you just go, oh, it's a little too close for comfort. I think I'm heading for the wings.
2: What is something that you've had to learn as part of this process going through law school and working on your relationship?
7: That I needed to even in times of like midterms and finals like make a concerted effort to value like our quality time together as much as like my time preparing for those things. You know, that I needed to set aside like two hours where you know uh, every couple days where we'd be looking at each other face to face rather than side to side um and actually just like putting aside like my phone my books whatever and just have some quality time with each other even when um things were really stressful and I found that that made me um much better at studying um and it also just you know kept things like strong between us.
4: I don't know if it was so much me but me communicating to my husband that he can't solve all of the issues that are going on with law school right now as much as he would like to. Um, He's sort of someone who when he sees me upset or stressed or sad you know he wants to fix it. He wants to fix the problem so that you know I'm happy I'm stress-free again. And we had to learn that the way that law school works is that I'm going to be in this sort of stressed, very, very much gotta go, gotta go attitude. And then he needed to learn that to just sort of let go of the reins and to just let it happen because he can't fix what's happening in law school. Um, But he could just be supportive and he could listen. So when we had that talk, that was something that we learned. Just let go. It's, what's going to happen is going to happen, mm-hmm. and it'll be all right in the end. That was also something, it was really odd, um, when we were, what was it, um, in pre kana class, they would separate, I'm not sure how much I like this, but they would separate the women and the men um, in the pre kana class, and then they would make a list of things that sort of... Um, not bug you about your partner but you wish they would do better and one that was written in bold like cursive and letter all caps lettering was that um, when I'm complaining about something or when I'm unloading or like I just want to vent to you that doesn't mean I want you to solve it and I don't definitely don't want you to get upset when I'm like there's nothing you can do like just let it be and then they would just get like upset because they're like but I want to help fix it. No, and then it almost makes us seem like we don't want to talk to you about the problems because you're going to get frustrated when you can't fix it, but let's just take a deep breath because we're not going to fix it right now.
0: So you clearly are unbelievable at your job because I've completely forgotten what my original question was (laughs) and um, just got so sucked into your story. Um,
1: You were trying to get at what skills have I seen play out in friendships or And you you did so
0: perfectly, I mean just beautifully. So First of all, that's a wonderful story. And I think um, to have a close friend say something like that to us, those are the types of moments that we all aspire to and all live for. Mm -hmm. Um, But you mentioned uh, very, very briefly that you've conducted research throughout your time here and you're writing books and things like that. What have you found has, I guess, inspired you and inspired your research? Um, And then in turn, what's inspired you to stay on this track with the staying best friends and keep making these wonderful connections with people.
1: I know for the research and writing, the only reason I do that is because if my thinking is helpful, parentheses, most people like to think that their thinking is helpful. But if it is helpful, one way to get my thinking out there to people I'll never meet would be through printed books, eBooks. Get it out there so people can Wrestle with the ideas and the approaches, and see if it makes sense to them. So that's what motivates me. It's a way to help people that I'll never meet.
0: And then, what about from you know you've you've been here for you're you're a pillar of this community. I mean, both in the law school and the Greater Loyola community. What's the the biggest pull for you to stay here, and what keeps you coming back, and what keeps you motivated? I've I've never seen you around the law school without a smile on your face or. You know, even having a bad day to your point earlier so what's the biggest motivation for you to keep coming back and, and being so positive
1: in this role well I, I don't think that's easy to answer uh, but the only way I could answer that is to start with God and for a lot of people I know that will be like click like I, oh god here comes the priest talk but it's all rooted in my relationship with God who I would say is my best friend now, he's not a nice guy up the street, I appreciate that, uh, but there is more similarity to a close friend with me and God that than there's any other analogy I could draw. So, For example, when I get up in the morning at 4.45, except, except for my day off, I sleep till noon, <laughs> or I literally will sleep 10 to 12 hours on my day off. but. The other days of the week, I get up at 4.45, and the first thing I do, I tease that the first cup of coffee is with my best friend, which is the Lord God, in case you're not tracking here. <laughs> and I will do that while I listen to news. And if I have one more person tell me I don't watch the news anymore, it's too depressing, I'm so sick of go, and I'll listen, and they'll go, like, well, do you? I'll go, yeah, I start my day with my best friend, watching the news so that I stay alert to where we need God to help save us and I'm willing to work with you on it God but we got to quit polarizing like this we've got to learn to listen and not just talk etc I mean I'll see that it's not just all the lovely things I see sometimes I'll see I saw a story the other day about some young guy that had been in an accident and how he pulled his life together and he ran a marathon and most people thought he'd never walk again they didn't think he'd live, he'd walk, etc. And it was was an inspiring story but most of what I see is the opposite in the sense that the news itself is depressing but what it inspires me to do is lean in a direction of God-like ways of thinking and acting to say, really, we can do better than this. I know we can. We're choosing not to. It's all about me and getting my interests covered and common good is not popular, et cetera, et cetera. But it motivates me. So it's coming out of that relationship. I can I cannot answer your question honestly without going there.
0: Well, first I'm I'm glad that you answered honestly, and I, I think uh, you know you really brought it full circle right there. I mean you you hit the nail on the head of, of the theme of not only this episode, but also of staying best friends, which is if we were all able to listen more and talk less, um, that would open up avenues that, you know, we can't possibly imagine. Is there
2: anything particular about the Loyola experience that you found impactful in trying to maintain a balance of your law school career and your relationship?
6: Yeah, I mean, like I said, just knowing that there are other people around going through the same thing. I would imagine that's the case at a lot of law schools, just something I hadn't really thought about going into it. Um, I was... 30 when I started law school, and I expected to be pretty far in the older end of the, the age range, and I was surprised to find that there were a lot of other people, like, at least close to my age, that and that was helpful just because people my age tend to be in more serious relationships, um, and yeah, I mean, just hearing from Father Jerry early on in my loyal experience, I haven't done any of the staying best friend stuff, but just knowing that it's there is comforting, um, knowing that Loyola is dedicated to like ensuring that we as students are still like whole people and it's not just academic focused um, is a really nice thing, a, a nice thought, it's nice to know that that's there. Yeah, I mean the whole Loyola community generally is so supportive, I've just been shocked. You hear all the horror stories about law schools and to come here and the professors are supportive. All of the, and I think the professors in the, the administration just kind of foster a supportive and um, holistic environment and so the students, at least in my experience, have really bought into that and have been very supportive of each other and yeah, it's just been really nice.
5: Well, obviously the Staying Best Friends program is, I think, unique to Loyola. I haven't heard about it anywhere else and I think that that's such a brilliant idea not even I mean the the couples that come in are fantastic and they have such great things to say but I think the benefit to the program really is just giving students a space to have that dialogue because whether or not students are having it with their partners they need to and so creating a a school sanctioned space that says let's have this conversation reminds students that it's not just something they should be doing it's really something they have to be doing if they want to have a healthy relationship Uh, I'm sort of a freak about um communicating. So I was always gonna go to that program um, and my partner is um, if they weren't before um, you know eight, eight years of living with me has probably turned them into an overcommunicator. And I think that's a good thing. I think having the space to have dialogue is good. and I think regardless of what another couple's experience is like just listening to someone else have that discussion, it reminds you of how you should have it in your own life. So we always turn it into a date night. So We'll come to Staying Best Friends, and then we'll go out to dinner and have a bite to eat and talk about some of the things that came up. And I think the longer we've been in law school, the more we've had to talk about as we start looking at careers and realizing that this is just the beginning, that going into a large firm is going to create a whole new host of issues. Uh, And I also think the Loyola community is really supportive of that, So a lot of the presenting couples at Staying Best Friends have asked us, you know, get in touch, set up a time, let's meet up, let's talk more, you know, more personally about what your concerns are. Um, and I've done that a couple times just to, you know, they said something that really hit home for me and now I'm concerned about it, but I don't want to hijack that meeting. Loyola alums are great about setting aside time for other Loyola alums on not just a professional level, but on a personal level. I I mean I don't know if that's particular to Loyola my undergrad I don't think I would would do that but certainly Loyola is great at that. I also think professors are pretty understanding about the fact that they end up with two students in their class who are engaged. We usually disclose it pretty early we ended up in the same advocacy class completely by accident because we didn't check in with each other when we registered for classes and I think during the second week we're like what if we end up arguing against each other in the final? Let's not do that. And so we talked to our professor and she goes, oh yeah, we'll put you on different, you know, we'll put you on different different arguing teams so you don't end up arguing against each other because that opens up a whole host of issues that are not uh, not necessary. So I think, you know, everyone in, in the law school is pretty understanding that you're more than just the student that you are in the classroom. For me, that's Easy to see because my partner is often in the
0: classroom with me. You've done such a remarkable job of encapsulating the theme of staying best friends. But I want to give you an opportunity to plug the programming a little bit. So first and foremost, I know that while we are recording this episode, you're prepping for Staying Best Friends too. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking ahead to next semester and what the program has to offer in the future, you know what are what what are things that students can look forward to? What are things that you know, attendees can look forward
1: to. I find that frequently those who attend this program are surprised that there's attention paid to who these three couples are. That they're surprised they're not all Caucasian, heterosexual, Catholic. So I'll find the nonverbal communication frequently will be looking at, like, keeping on looking at me, like, is this okay? What's going on? and my nonverbal is right back it's okay with me is it okay with you <laughs> so I think people still have a um, wariness that they're gonna get something shoved down their throat and it's gonna be the party line whatever they think the party line is and I think what they find is that there's three couples so after the first couple speaks when the second couple speaks, they'll say something like, "Well, you know what they said worked for them. That didn't work for us. It felt like a straitjacket." And so they go, "Oh, that makes sense. You know, because no couple's exactly the same as any other couple, and even within the couple, you don't always see things the same way." And you'll have a couple say, "Well, it's funny you should say that because my, what I was experiencing when we when you were going through law school was not that. It was this." And it's like, "Oh my God!" Even within the relationship, the husband, wife, or the the couple, whoever the couple is, they don't all experience it the same way so it's I think what the beauty of the program is that you learn by comparison and contrast and I'm pretty committed to ending it at 730 and the reason is not just because I want to go home and put my feet up the reason is because I think the most important part of the program is what happens now and that is when you leave as couples or sometimes one of the couple is there the other couples in Seattle so that's another whole layer of complexity they're doing a distance relationship but now is when you can get together with your other and say what do you think will work for us like in my experience I think this these are the pressure points right now and here's what we've tried to address that and this part seems to work okay but not this part and so is there a way we could tweak come up with a system like the one you mentioned earlier before we went on air is there a better way to approach this so that we can come to life more than if we hadn't thought about this talked about this prayed about this read about this whatever
0: well for any of our listeners that are hearing this now unfortunately for them they are going to be too late to attend staying <laughs> okay. best friends too mm-hmm. um, is there a date picked out for staying best friends three and and if so, when? And if not, you know, how, how can we stay tuned in and find out more?
1: It'll definitely be on the law school announcements. It'll be there. It'll also be on the flat screen TVs throughout the university. So it'll be there. But I can tell you the date is Valentine's Day. And we had quite a bit of discussion about whether or not that was the day to do it. And my thinking was for people that care about more than superficial dimensions of their relationship, This might be a fun way to start the evening, is to go and be with other couples who are trying to take seriously their relationship with each other, that that relationship is not only protected but growing, and then go out and have cocktails and dinner. That's why I ended at 7.30, so that even if it's just in the commute home as we're driving home or after rush hour, we have a chance we can talk to each other in the car on the way home or over a drink or at dinner. So... It'll be 6 to 7.30, February 14th, for those of you that don't know when Valentine's Day is, (laughs) in the third floor lounge of the Terry Center, right across the street from the law school.
0: Well, I'm going to go straight from this recording and make an 8 o'clock dinner reservation for Valentine's Day. Um, (laughs) So thank you so much, Father Jerry. I I really appreciate it. And obviously, this is an important topic for you, for us, and for the law school. Um, So we really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Do you have any final tips
2: or advice for our listeners?
7: I think only until I got out of school did I realize like how much like I was craving a schedule, and law school is not conducive to that, right? Because your day to day differs so much based on your classes. Um, so I would say like in the beginning of every semester, kind of take a look at where your classes are and make like one regular kind of like date night um that you're going to have like that quality time together because that can kind of hold you over for the rest of the week and just making that um a routine and habit and then same thing like carving out time for you to do whatever fulfills you as an individual, whether it be working out or cooking or hanging out with your dog or or whatever. Um, I think that like when I got out of law school I was like I was just everything was better in that. And I realized it was because I had been missing a schedule and I wish that I had known that those three years and had made more of an effort to have some consistency and structure and not just like wake up and see where the day takes me based off of like what deadline is coming up.
3: Uh, uh, I, I think the, again, I, the, the, the most important thing is, the, is that being in a relationship is a, it's an everyday decision and it's one that if you're not actively opting into, you're opting out of, and it's really easy to lose lose track of that with the deadlines and the craziness of law school, and you know, oftentimes law school doesn't encourage or doesn't allow you to be a healthy person, and so it can be really easy to let other parts of your life, other parts of your health slip, whether it's your physical health or your mental health, um, the amount of sleep you get. And the same is true for a personal relationship or a romantic relationship. And if you don't prioritize if you don't prioritize a relationship, um, it'll suffer. And so I think that's something that is harder to do in law school and maybe why it's that much more important to do so.
5: I'm going to give the same advice that I usually give, which is, I think, unhelpful, except to the person who needs to hear it, which is you can ignore advice. <laughs> um, I think when you come into law school, you get all kinds of conflicting advice from people who've been there, from people who have not been there, and it's okay to try it out and decide it doesn't work for you. That doesn't mean that the advice was bad, and it doesn't mean that you did it wrong. It just means that you're an individual, and advice doesn't always play out the same way for everyone. So I I find that to be one of the best things about staying best friends, is you'll have three couples presenting and two of them will be like, you must do this thing. And the third couple is like, no, we tried that. That was awful. Did not work for us at all. And it kind of, it gives us a second to check and say, maybe the things that we're saying you must do are just the things that we had to do to keep our relationship secure. But that doesn't mean it works for everyone. And I think law school, despite the fact that it's a very busy time, is a great time in your relationship to try out new things that you wouldn't think about doing when you had maybe a full-time plus position Uh, because as law school is a training ground for being an attorney it's also a training ground for the relationship you're going to have with your partner going forward because it doesn't get less stressful from here so this is if it's not working now it's a great time to try to fix it because it's not going to get better later without that work
0: That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, an event you'd like us to address, or just something you're passionate about, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Our producer is Jim Alritz. Our senior editor is Radhika Sutherland. Our associate editors are Haley Burridge and Jake Kupferman. And our editor-in-chief is Matt Doran. Special thanks to Dean Michael Kaufman for providing us the resources and support to make this show possible, and thanks to our predecessors, the Dialogue De Novo team, for launching a podcast on our campus. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been the Pottenkid.